1: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to Board Games Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is episode 254... VGA, year review, and games that we resolved to finally play. We'd like to thank our brand new Patreon backer, Richard Ng, for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Happy New Year, everyone. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. We are so glad to have you join us here in the new year, 2020. We did it. We made it. Glad to be with you.
0: It's a new decade, it's a new year. I'm going to change two numbers in what I'm writing. Can I, I look forward
1: to misdating all my checks for the next six months. It's great. <laughs> That's always the uh, the mark of the new year when you're like, oh, what year is it again? It's going to take a month or two to actually catch up with that.
0: Oh, yeah. Although 2020 is cool. So maybe I'll remember it because it's just kind of fun to write it. 2020.
1: Although now every advertisement that you're going to see now to the end of the year is going to be 2020 related. Yeah, Probably. Yeah, (laughs) it's like, are you thinking about your car insurance with
0: 2020 vision? It doesn't even make any sense, guys. (laughs) I didn't even
1: make that one up. I heard that this morning. It's so bad. (laughs) Well, before we look forward to 2020, we're going to take a look back at 2019 and the year in review, and especially the games that we really anticipated about this time last year in early January. So we're going to go take a look back and see how those early desires, early predictions, early acquisition disorders, and how all of those things came true. What actually proven to be a fantastic game, which games didn't make the mark, and which games still haven't gotten played yet. So we have that for you in our feature review, as well as our each and every year games that we firmly, absolutely, positively Resolve to finally play in the new year. Yeah, and we'll do it. We'll we'll do it. You know we'll do, do it. We're not gonna because we never
0: talk about it the next year. So you know we did it. Obviously. <laughs>
1: Only the Patreon backers know if we have our have Yeah, right.
0: If you want to know for sure whether we played last year's resolutions, you got to back on Patreon. I'm sorry, it's a secret. Otherwise,
1: <laughs> the deep dark secrets of BGA are behind Patreon.com slash BGA. So if you'd like to support us in the upcoming new year and find out all our deep and dark secrets of board gaming, be sure to join us there. (laughs) So uh, you'll get our Slack account where we uh, talk about all of those things that we hope to do, promise to do, will do, and every once in a while do do at the table. And then of course our Patreon backed episodes we just posted Two at the end of this year, one for Thanksgiving and one for the Christmas holiday. We hope that you enjoy those episodes. If you haven't listened to them, definitely jump back. They're really fun. We do some extra special episodes on there, including a look back at the earlier podcast episodes and see if we still play those games like those games. It's basically a look back, but over six plus years of board gaming. So there's a lot of fantastic stuff up there, not to mention being able to support the podcast so we could put more and more content out there each and every year. And obviously we want to hear from you. So if you haven't already... The year's coming to the end. We would love to hear what you think about the podcast, how we can make improvements for the new year, and how you'd like to join us at the table. All right, Anthony, before we get into all the fun podcast stuff, obviously there's been a good deal of geek media, geek productions that's been going around. A lot of, you know, movies out there, a lot of streaming services that's had some some interesting shows. Do you have any favorites from uh, this
0: past year? Oh, good question. It was a funny year because we came in and, Early on, I was like, all right, we get the end of the Avengers saga, like the first section. We get the end of Game of Thrones. We get the end of Star Wars. (laughs) One of those three was great. So not a great year for endings, I got to say. And it's just uh, thankfully the Avengers kind of made up for it by being just absolutely perfect, pitch perfect. But sure, I've been more disappointed this year, I think, with media than excited (laughs) over the course of the last 12 months.
1: Yeah, I think we commiserated on an earlier episode with Jason about uh, Game of Thrones ending, which was lackluster, you know, to say the least or to say it in a family friendly kind of way. Uh, It was bad. It was bad. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny how, you know, because I've listened to or watched so much Game of Thrones content every once in a while, there's always these suggestions and the suggestions are you know, based typically around the last season or the last episode. They're like, hey, maybe you'd like to watch this video on 659 different ways that the last episode of Game of Thrones was horrible. And I'm like, (laughs) can't do it, man. I can't. No,
0: I (laughs) I already know it's horrible. I don't need more reasons why it's horrible. It's fine.
1: (laughs) But Avengers was very good. I mean, I had a couple issues with it here and there, but I I, I do think that for a general audience, they, they stuck the landing.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think for what it was trying to do across like 22 movies and all, all of the content that was going in there, like, I don't know how much more you could have done to really make that work. So I was very pleasantly surprised. I watched it two or three times just in the theater and I was just happy as can be with everything I saw. There was no point at which I was like, uh, this part's boring or this was too long or this dragged too much, which happens in almost any movie that gets that big. You get overhyped. And in this case, I was like, no, I'm good. This is good. I'm happy. <laughs>
1: so it's very rare. <laughs> My major complaint, if there is one for me about it, was it definitely needed, for me at least, it it, it could have used, let me say it this way, it could have used an Empire Strikes Back kind of movie because the, the Endgame movie was a very long movie, which again, wasn't a problem because it, it went really quick, but I could have used a dark and somber middle movie Mm. before they wrapped it up. Just because I would have liked to seen more Ronin. I would have liked to seen more Black Widow, you know, more of that kind of like the world trying to pull itself back together for an an episode or for a movie, so to speak. And I think that would have kind of given a little more flesh to the bones Uh, or even, you know, Professor Hulk. I would have liked to see that kind of interaction and him coming together. A lot of that stuff was kind of like, hey, these things happen. And you're like, all right, you know, but they probably would have been cool to see on screen. So that's the only thing I would have said.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like with the Professor Hulk thing is tough because I think the reason they did it that way is surprise, right? They want it to be a reveal and it worked. Sure. Like several yeah. people laughed or gasped in the theater when he came on. Sure. The, the stuff with like Ronan and Black Widow, I agree. Because I think that whole scene you know, on the mountain where they're trying to get the soul stone would have been much more uh, poignant if you'd actually shown more of that and where they, you know, their relationship is not other than like the really wonky conversations in age of Ultron. There's not a lot there, you know, they're no. friends, but that's about it. You could have like built half a movie around that or something. And then that would have been a much better moment. Right. Absolutely. And that's one of the weaker points of that film. I think it's just that whole arc of what happens to black widow. So I agree on that front. I
1: didn't, i don't think it hurts anything horribly but it certainly would have helped and then what about rise of skywalker anthony huh huh star wars fan that you are <sighs> <laughs> i don't okay
0: i've i've been disappointed with exactly one star wars movie in my life One. Oh my god just one just one i am a huge oh. huge star wars fan it's hard to disappoint me there's ones where i'm like Mildly apathetic. There's ones where I'm clearly in denial. <laughs> like I guess, but like, Phantom Menace came out. I was 14 years old, and I was all on. It was just didn't matter. I loved it. Uh-huh. Attack of the Clones is the only time where I was like, guys, was this bad? You know, I was in high school. I was only 17 years old. I'm like, is this actually a bad movie? Did we just wait up until three in the morning to watch this for no good reason? And that's the only time because Revenge of the Sith was fine. I thought it was a perfectly fine ending. I like Force Awakens. I loved The Last Jedi. I was, I'm on that side of the fence. Rise of Skywalker is a mess. It is a sloppy, not incoherent at times mess for me. And it was actually weirdly entertaining while I was watching it. Like when I left mm-hmm. with Margaret, I was like, that was fun. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, every part of the writing makes no sense. What are they doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like... And obviously I'm trying to avoid spoilers or anything in here, like what specifically I dislike because the movie just came out and a lot of you haven't seen it, but I am not a fan. I am not a fan of this film.
1: The original trilogy is not flawless. It has its problems, especially with return of the Jedi star Wars, as it was originally named entitled and empire strikes back again, as it was originally titled. Uh, I think is are as bad best as you could do as far as like sci-fi fantasy is concerned. Return of the Jedi is fine, but problematic in chunks. The middle of the movie is
0: unnecessary. Like that's the best way to put it. The whole middle of the movie is just not needed. The beginning is amazing. The end is amazing. The middle hour is just, why is this here? Sure.
1: Well, you know, look, there's a lot of, this would be several podcasts and we could do this one day for Sure. All right, so that is everything. Yeah, there's at least board games. (laughs) (laughs) Star Wars related that we covered. So we we got through that stuff. But let's get on to the reason for the season. It is board games. So, Anthony, what's our question of the week? Yeah, this is
0: a simple one this week. Uh, Next week, we'll share with you some of people's resolutions for the new year. But this week, I had asked earlier in December what people do when they're listening to podcasts where they listen to them specifically i asked that bga but it kind of applies to all podcasts because that's what we are a podcast and part of this was we just kind of wanted to know and the reason i want to throw this out there is to thank everybody who responded because these types of questions and your answers kind of help us out it's useful for us to know that most of you are driving when you're listening to the podcast you know like the state of mind people are in how long that they're in the car These kinds of things are very useful because we can cater the content, the length of the content, the style of the content, and just produce a better quality podcast because of that. So we had about 30 responses or so. Most people said they were driving somewhere between 20 and 40 minutes. I know, Chris, you listen to podcasts in the car, right?
1: I've been doing a lot of community work, especially this last seven or eight months. So and it's really what gets me through the commute. There's only so much music that you can listen to because The stations even if it's pandora or spotify they kind of repeat themselves so yeah it's it's a podcast i'm really glad that uh less and less podcasts are using a lot of just extreme kind of like bits and sounds because you're driving yeah (laughs) (laughs) and all of a sudden there's like a horn or a beep or a yank or something and you're just like ah so thank you for stop doing that
0: (laughs) yeah i'll I'll be honest like for me like i don't drive a lot because i live in the city and i work at home but I, when I do drive, if I'm driving a distance at any of any kind, I much prefer podcasts to the radio because the radio is just like you're in and out of commercials. People are yelling. If it's a radio show, like a morning show, it's very noisy. Mm-hmm. And I, I know there's a reason behind that, and people like that, but for me, it just adds anxiety to the drive, and I don't want it. So podcasts for me are a nice, calm, interesting, engaging way to 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 get where I'm going. A few people did mention other stuff too, though. We had some people mention that. When they're working around the house, specifically cooking uh, at the end of the day, which is absolutely when I listen to podcasts as well. Uh, My most common times to listen to podcasts are when I'm walking around, which I guess is the same as driving, because for me, that's my commute, and cooking or cleaning, because... I'm doing something mindless. And it's just nice to have something going on in the background. Most people mention that a few people apparently are able to listen at work. So different types of jobs, if you're just sitting in like a security booth or waiting for customer calls or whatever it might be, that certainly makes sense. But for the most part, I'd say 80% of these is people commuting to and from work. So it's good to know that you guys are listening to us on the way to work. Hopefully you have a good day today. And if you're coming home, Congratulations, you survived.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I actually listen to a lot of podcasts when I'm weight training at the gym. Usually, the elliptical machine or the treadmill, I want music, I want something fast. But when I'm weight training, I really need to slow it down and more contemplate. And podcasts work really well for that. So, if you haven't tried it yet, podcasts are great. Keeps you focused, keeps you on the mark. It's quiet enough that you can kind of hear yourself and focus on your movement. Sometimes, music just makes you move too fast or too slow you know and you really have to keep a consistent pace when you're lifting weights so just a general conversation kind of tone usually works really good for that too yeah all right perfect sense all right so that's everything that our listeners are having to say if you'd like to join in with us on the brand new year you know about social media i don't have to tell you about facebook BoardGamersAnonymous.com, twitter we have a youtube channel i know a lot of you who listen to the podcast at work typically listen on YouTube. So if you are on YouTube, which I'm guaranteeing pretty much everyone is, please subscribe to us on YouTube. And if you don't listen there, we'd love to have you there because Anthony from time to time puts videos up there and we might want to put more content up there. So if we get more subscribers, more content will follow. All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on with our listeners and that's what's going on with our social media. Let's get on to the games that we want to get to the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right. First up for me is
0: The Crew, the quest for Planet Nine. This is a trick-taking game. I know. I know. It's it's okay. I'm okay. <laughs> what? You? Oh, huh? <laughs> no. So my, my game group here in Pittsburgh, they really like trick-taking games, so they've introduced oh, me no. several of late that are interesting and unique and different and not just boring and bad like the old ones were mm-hmm. so occasionally i like them sometimes i don't this one i loved and i'm really looking forward to it coming to the u.s so this is not out yet this was released at essen i believe it's from cosmos though so it is coming sometime in the spring and i've played a friend's print and play copy that they just use a deck of cards to make it is a game in which everybody's you're just playing a trick taking game as usual, but it's cooperative. So you are all trying to work towards completing um, certain objectives. So you'll put out for example, different tokens, and people will need to capture in a trick a certain card, for example. So Maybe all three people playing the game, if you're playing with three players, each need to take a certain card in the trick. You have a limited amount of ways you can communicate with each other, like putting down cards and showing people this is the highest card of this suit I have, this is the lowest card. But ultimately you're trying to make it work without saying anything to each other. So it has a little bit of those elements of like what the mind did in that you are trying to make the game work without talking to each other or the game, I guess, is a little bit better, uh, you know, uh, example of that. But it's a pure trick-taking game at the end of the day. The box comes with, I think, 50 different missions. Uh, I haven't done all those, obviously, because we were just playing a print and play version. I think somebody had like it printed up somewhere. But it was really fun. It offers some interesting, unique puzzles to what is fundamentally a simple trick taking mechanic. And honestly, it's one of those things where you play it and you're like, how has nobody thought of this before? Because it's not adding any new mechanics. It's just a twist on ones you already know. A couple people here have already said, this is going to be a Spiel nominee. And I don't know if that's true or not, because the Spiel nominees often come out of left field. and There's only three of them, but I could easily see it. It's well presented. It's very clean. It's very quick. It's family friendly. So this is one when it comes out in the US. I'm absolutely going to pick it up. I'm looking forward to playing it more. I think it's just a lot of fun. So it is uh, called The Crew, uh, the quest for Planet Nine. And I'm fairly certain it's coming out here in the next three or four months.
1: Well, I think space is going to get you, right, Anthony? Yeah. Yeah. Except for the Red Skywalker. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> ah, all right. Well, I want to talk about a game that I've talked a lot about and promoted because I wanted to get more people into this game. It's not something that, you know, is unknown, but it's Rococo. Now, Rococo is getting a deluxe edition. This is from Eagle Griffin Games. Now, what we're seeing here from Matthias Kramer and Stefan Malls and Lewis Malls is we're seeing artwork from Ian O'Toole, which is brand new artwork. And what we're looking at here is a deluxify. Now we're now, if you haven't ever purchased or seen an Eagle Griffin Deluxe Edition, you're in for a treat, if not <laughs> gonna be overwhelmed with the level of detail and Deluxify-ness. I don't know if it's a word, but let's do it because. It's the kind of thing Eagle Griffin would do. So what we're looking at here is Rococo, which is basically about that period in history of opulence with these beautiful dresses and suit coats and decorations and fireworks. It was this wondrous time of all this excess. And it's a very, very fun game with a really interesting deck building mechanic where you're picking up cards, but as you pick up cards, you have to play all the cards in the deck. So you are deciding what you're going to be doing with the cards throughout. So you're going to be getting materials and then making things and being able to produce money and such. Your typical Euro game. But here, most of the times you're making dresses, so to speak. So what the deluxified version is going to bring is its previous released jewelry box expansion, which has since gone out of print and is nearly impossible to find. If you do find a copy, let me know the Festival Dress Expansion, and the Fancy Dress Promo, as well as a new Madame Duberry Solo Mode Expansion, which is brand new here. And there's going to be some changes in the base game, so they've made some corrections and made some updates, so maybe Anthony will like it a lot more. Along with that, they're going to get some premium components, including custom polyresin lace and thread tokens, gold foil heat-stamped tokens, Wooden player markers and velveteen bags for garments, silk, and jewelry tokens. And of course, upgraded punch boards for all the garments, silk, and coins that come with the game. I'm kind of surprised this actually is not coming with metal coins, as if everything in life now comes with metal coins. I think if you go to a fast food restaurant, somehow you're getting metal coins. So, you know, (laughs) everything comes with metal coins these days. So this is not a Kickstarter, but it is a pre-order. So, The pre-order will be up in, I think it's January 22nd or so. Mm -hmm. So this will not be a sellout type of situation, but it will be a pre-order situation. You can follow them on Facebook. They're, you know, giving updates. Nothing new as far as content or material is, you know, or pictures are concerned. But there is the cover and it's really fantastic. I mean, Eagle Griffin does a great, great job with their deluxe components And the artwork for Ian O'Toole here just looks fantastic. I already own Rococo. I don't own the jewelry box expansion. And I've been searching for it for several months now. I'm probably going to back this. It would be very hard for me not to back this because Rococo is a great game. And if you are not into this opulent period or into making dresses or fireworks or, you know, lavish structures or decorations, do not worry about it. Heavy, really great, great mechanics. Definitely, definitely something to look out for. That is Rococo, the deluxe edition.
0: How much do you think it's going to cost?
1: Yeah, that's always the question. They're skipping,
0: they're (laughs) skipping Kickstarter too, so it's going to be more. So,
1: what's your over under on this Uh, one? I think it's going to be straight up a hundred dollars. I think that's optimistic. You think so? No, I think it's gonna be $100. The right? MSRP in their
0: big Lacerda games is usually between 120 and 140
1: Yeah, I, I don't think it rises to that level. And I I think also in part because the game has already been out and the game isn't really that old. I think that they can't go too far with this yet. I mean, I don't know how much an additional solo mechanic adds into the game, but I'm hoping that this is a, a straight $100 bill. The Lacerda versions are pretty opulent. I don't know if it's going to go as far as that just because the game itself is a board and a bunch of cards and a couple of, you know, money tokens. It really isn't really too, too much. Obviously, I already talked about the upgraded components they're going to put in this game, but it doesn't have like massive player boards or something like that. So, I don't know. yeah, I guess we'll see.
0: I mean, I, I do plan on bringing I have a copy of Rokoko, like the base game. Mm-hmm. I do plan on bringing it back out a couple times in the next month or so. and. Cause I know a couple people who are interested in this and they want to play it before the pre-order goes up. And sure. if you want to buy a copy of the original, it's like a hundred bucks on its own just to get the, cause it's been out of print for so long. Yeah. So I, I want to play it more. My first two plays were not great. I didn't love it. And I can't even tell you specifically why it just didn't really zing with me. So maybe it was a mood. Maybe it was a group that I was with. I don't know. So I'm going to play it again.
1: Because that
0: Ian O'Toole artwork is
1: so good. (laughs) I will say the Jewelry Box Edition or the Jewelry Box Expansion does make the game better. Mm. I I wouldn't say that it's an essential part of the game. I do think Rococo plays fine without it. But it does give a little nudge or at least another mechanic that you can kind of play with, which is jewelry in the game. So not essential, but good. So if you get a chance, play as Anthony's saying here, play the original. Uh, I highly recommend the original, and I recommend checking out the uh, new pre-order. All right, Anthony, so that's everything from our acquisition disorders. Let's talk about the games that actually got to the table, and we'll let everybody know if those games are a buy, and they should rush out and pick those games up, even if it's a deluxe version. If those are games are a play, and they should sit down and play them in case they want to back the deluxe version. If those games are a dodge, and even if they come in a deluxe version, they should avoid them at all costs. And if those games are the dreaded burn, then, well, if it is a deluxe version, it's going to burn for quite some time, Anthony. (laughs) It
0: will. Absolutely. And uh, ironically enough, because we never collaborate on this in advance, I'm talking about an Eagle Griffin deluxe edition game. So, oh boy, I know. Yeah, (laughs) this is a Lacerda. It is on Mars. Uh, My copy showed up about a week and a half ago, and I got a chance to play it uh, just over the weekend. Uh, with some local people who are waiting on their copies to come to the local store so thank you to all my friends who sat down and helped me work through the rules and figure all this out and watch the videos and we kind of all cobbled together how to play this game so on mars this is a lacerda game in every sense of the word it is opulent it is big the production is massive it is beautiful you know total artwork so you know what you're getting out of the box It is expensive, of course. If you did not back it on Kickstarter, it will be over $100 to pick this up. All of that out of the way. Let's dive into the mechanics of the game. In this game, you are trying to not only generally terraform, but also colonize and build up your presence on Mars. So the board is split into two halves. You have the orbit side where you'll get things like blueprints and technologies that will help you do that. And then you have the colony side where you will actually build things and help produce life support systems that will grow the colony on Mars. So the game is in no way cooperative, except thematically. It's in everybody's best interest for everything to move in the same direction. And the mechanics are designed in such a way that you're always going to try to work towards the thing that's lower on the tracks because it will benefit you to do so. Right. But. there's there's no actual cooperative element to the game, at least not yet. There's an expansion coming in 2020 on Kickstarter that's based around the Surviving Mars video game from Paradox that will add a cooperative mode to the game, which makes perfect sense based on playing it. It would fit right in. Um, On your turn, you're going to do one of 10 different actions on the board. Some of these, you just take the action there's no worker placement involved. You do have a set number of workers on your in your pool. Some of them do require worker placement, and you'll place those out on the board. You pay a cost if other people have gone there already. You can also use your workers to boost certain actions and make them more powerful. And so it's a little confusing on that side. A couple people had problems with, I don't remember who took which action because they just took it and then they moved on, right? There's no worker there. There's nothing to indicate that they did it, which... I don't know, maybe they could have given us another worker to mark like what you did on your turn or something like that. It didn't bother me so much, but it did bother a couple of people. You're getting blueprints that will allow you to uh, upgrade buildings down the line. You're getting technology tiles. Every technology tile on the table, everybody can use, but if you use somebody else's technology tile, you give them a benefit, which you know it's up to you whether it's worth it or not. You can pull resources from the General Depot and use those in the future. You can upgrade technology tiles you already have on your board. And this makes them more powerful when you use them to amplify another action, but also makes them worth more points because of course it's Lacerda. On the colony side, you can build a building, upgrade a building. You can recruit a scientist or take a contract. You can launch a ship or I guess land a ship. I always said launch in the game and people gave me grief. You're landing a ship with with colonists on it. And that adds more workers to your pool. Um, it also unlocks more space for crystals, which gives you more space for actions. And then there's the life support systems themselves, which go up based on which buildings you build. So there's a lot of more intricacies that go into the game. And I could go into all those, but, you know, we have a limited amount of space in the podcast. Suffice it to say, it feels like a Lacerda game. There are multiple systems at work. You can't just focus on any one area and be successful. You need to go back and forth between orbit and the planet. You need to build up multiple different types of buildings. You need to get your upgrades out onto the planet. You need to move your bots around and build things in different areas. You don't, however, need to move your rover, apparently, because I didn't move mine the entire game and I won. So (laughs) I don't think that's necessary, but it is more fun, as I was told by other people. Uh, The game ends in one of two ways. There are three different mission cards out there and each of them corresponds to a different action that people take so like take a blueprint build an upgrade anytime somebody does that they get a bonus and it ticks down when all three are completed the game will end after the next round however the colony level also increases as people build different things and if it gets to a high enough level you need fewer missions to win or end the game i should say So if you get up to colony level three, you only need two missions, colony level four, you only need one. If you get all the way up to colony level five, you don't need any more missions. The game just ends immediately. So it's a variable length game, but it's always visible to everybody how much more is left, which I appreciate because some variable length games, you never know. (laughs) The game will just end when it feels like it. I really enjoy this a lot, despite some rules hiccups we had in between. It feels like a Lacerda game. It flows really smoothly. I love the idea of flipping back and forth between the colony and orbit and trying to manipulate where you land on the turn order track and getting those bonuses. It was just a lot of fun, and I really, really look forward to playing this one more. So I will be, you know, transparent here. I did back this on Kickstarter, so I've invested in it to a certain degree, but I'm happy I did. For me, it's a buy like almost all the Lacerda games are a And uh, I highly recommend playing it if this is the kind of game you like. If you like Lisboa, if you liked Vinyos, if you like Gallerist, this one has a lot that you'll enjoy as well.
1: Yeah, I got a chance to play this at PAX Unplugged and I have a copy myself. And, you know, I will say I really enjoy the game a lot. I haven't had the number of plays that I really need to get into in order to give it a full review. So that will be coming in the near future. Obviously, I love Mars. Obviously, I love Vitella games. The productions, as you mentioned, is fantastic, and it is a a rather challenging game, but it does, again, somewhat thematically play out. I mean, we haven't terraformed Mars yet, but it seems to kind of make sense. I really enjoy the mechanic where the shuttle's going back and forth to and from the planet, so you have to do as much as you can and, and jump on the shuttle so that you don't miss out on some additional bonuses, but it does play very much like a Lacerda, so... It's a high play for me, maybe a buy yet, but I won't know until I get enough, you know, plays at the table. All right. So on my end, the game that I got to the table this week was Lock Up, a role player tale. This was a game from Thunderworks Games that, as you can hear from the title, is in the role player universe. So what we're dealing with here is after a invasion, a lot of captors were thrown into prison from the different Factions and those little factions or crews, you know, gather together in order to gather other goons to join their crew, uh, craft contraband and be able to take over while you know trying to avoid as much suspicion as possible. So, what you're going to be doing basically in this game is you're going to have your own particular crew and you're going to be shooting for those goons, you're going to be shooting for those loots. And if you played role player before, which is a dice placement game, which basically allows you to kind of roll a player like in an RPG type of format here. So you see a lot of the same type of characters here, a lot of the obviously the same artwork here and somewhat, you know, a good feel of if you've played role player, then you would like a lot of the content here. So at the start of the game, you have your crew. The crew has different numbers that will give you an idea of what strength that they have throughout the game. One of the characters is kind of the lookout, so that character is going to help you avoid suspicion. So if there is a particular area where there's a suspicions cube, you definitely want to send a lookout down there. You'll also have one of your crew members that will be based upon how much power you have on your particular board. And the rest of the crew has, you know, a certain set number, so two, three, four, five. And what you're doing is you're going to be allowed to place two of your henchmen, so to speak, face down. The rest of them will be face up and you are placing them throughout the board. So you have the sewers, the infirmary, a lot of the different places that make up this kind of prison system, the exercise room, the cell block, the library and such. So you'll play your your characters either face down or face up, showing their numbers, showing their strength. And you're going to pick up cubes or resources or scrap from those different areas in order to be able to, you know, I I guess... be able to craft certain kind of weapons and materials that you need throughout the game and also to be able to bribe goons to join you. So you place your token out, the next player, the next player, the next player. You kind of get a sense of what they have in certain areas if you're in the lead. And each of those areas has a different kind of win condition. Typically, whoever has the most or the highest strength in that particular area as far as an area control mechanic is concerned. They will be able to get the most materials from that area or make the best purchases or make the first purchase that they can make. And that's pretty much it. The game is rather quick. It only takes about six rounds to play. And with the exception of the exercise room, which determines first player, which really throws things off as far as tiebreakers are concerned, because whoever's ahead in, in the tiebreaker situation Whoever's ahead in the turn situation is going to get the tiebreaker there. So that's going to throw things off a little bit. But beyond that, it's a pretty straightforward game of trying to get as many cubes as you possibly can to turn in to get the right goons that are going to get a set collection mechanic. And also to be able to craft certain weapons that are going to score you victory points in the game. There are bonuses and the bonuses are variable, though. Three of them will come out on each game. And that will tell you which items or which goons or which situations will score points. There are also library cards in the game that are going to give you special abilities. But basically, that's pretty much it. You got your gang together, you place them out on the board. If you're the highest, you will get the most resources, or if you're first, you'll get to purchase first, whether it's a goon or it's an item. And at the game, at the end of the game, whoever has the most victory points wins. It's a play for me. It's it's a nice little game. I remember seeing this way back on Kickstarter. I do enjoy role player as a game. And this is kind of like a little, I would say a, I wouldn't say a gateway game, so to speak, but it does kind of fit into that kind of area. It's a little lighter than role player is concerned. So yeah, I give this a recommendation.
0: I, (laughs) I have a copy sitting here. I've been meaning to play for a very long time and it looks very interesting i want to play this game just the unique mechanic like the hidden information and everything else sounds really cool it's just one of those like it's a medium weight game it doesn't seem that exciting on the surface like when you describe it to people and it's been hard to get to the table because of it
1: yeah it's it's much much lighter than it looks i think it's like a 2.5 or less on bgg yeah i could see that All right, Anthony, so that's everything from our At The Table. Let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are taking a look back at BGA Year in Review. We had an anticipated list of games that we were looking forward to in 2019. We were very excited about these games coming up, and we were hoping that these games would be great. You're going to want to jump back to episode 203, which was our most anticipated games from that year. And Anthony, let's get into it. So first up, we had Suburbia, the collector's edition. What do you think?
0: Yeah, this was uh, one of my most anticipated games of 2019. Uh, They had the Kickstarter very early in the year. And I, of course, backed it at the absolute maximum level to make sure I had so much cardboard, so much cardboard, (laughs) (laughs) that there would be nowhere to put all of it. Um, I have had my copy. It's punched it's boxed it's ready to go i have not played it because it is really really big and heavy and hard to move around so (laughs) and i knew that was gonna happen of course it was gonna happen it's just this brick of a box and suburbia is one of my favorite games of all time i have set it up and played through it like solo-ish you know a couple times but i've yet to like lug it over to someone's house or invite anybody over i
1: should do that (laughs) it hasn't happened yet I unfortunately did not back this. I own literally everything from Suburbia, especially the the insert that comes along. I did not back the Suburbia Collector's Edition because I owned every piece of Suburbia that was out there, including the wooden insert that I put together. So I was like, I have everything. Why would I back this? And now I regret it because I really do love the look of this and everyone seems to be very happy with this. I have not seen anyone bring this to the table, and now that you're mentioning it, Anthony, I think that is the reason that the box, unfortunately, is just too big. It's just too big to lug out, and even if you are separating it and putting it in something else, I don't know what would fit that tower setup. So, hopefully, I get a chance to play this soon because I do love myself some suburbia. All right, Anthony, how about football highlights 2052?
0: Yeah, this is one that just showed up before. I think Thanksgiving. So I have not had a chance to play it yet because I have had limited gaming time since then. But I'm super excited because Baseball Highlights 2045 is one of my all time favorites. So it is hitting the table very, very soon, hopefully. And uh, having read the rules and got it all set up, I'm pretty excited to see how it goes.
1: Did not get a copy of this either. It was something of interest for me, too. There's not a lot of good sports games out there. So I'm interested in hearing what you have to say about it. All right, Anthony, how about Metal Gear Solid? It's not out yet,
0: so I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they had previews at Gen Con. The lines were long. I guess the crowds were long. They're, you know, There's no lines there, but I don't know. It. The more I've heard about it, the more I've seen. I don't know if this is going to be in my alley, that kind of stealth game, but I am going to withhold judgment until I play it because it looks nice. The artwork's great, and it's Emerson Matsuchi. Who's, he does good games, so we'll see how it goes.
1: I have not got a chance to play this either. I know that there was a copy of PAX Unplugged that people were playing, but could not get near it, despite the giant wooden box that was covering me the entire time. All right, Anthony, <laughs> next up is the game that everyone was anticipating and everyone got to table, Wingspan.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think us personally, we weren't blown away by the game, although I know it did make it to your top 100. Um, it did. I like it. I gave it a solid play. Uh, but I will say this, it was the most impactful, recognizable and popular game of 2019 by a mile and a half. So I'm I'm glad we had it on our list before it even came out so that we could say mm-hmm. that we were at least thinking about it because it was very important for the year.
1: This was my most anticipated game of the year. It it There just seemed to be something about the game that felt like it was going to explode way back when. And honestly, because everyone has a copy of it and because they bring it out so often, I haven't purchased a copy myself yet, but I do plan to do so in the future. Anthony, you have a copy of this and the expansion, correct? I do. Yeah. And I still enjoy it and I bring it out fairly
0: frequently. I've played this more than you'd expect for like the rating I gave it. It's just one of those mm-hmm. games. It almost like Gugong. I reviewed it early in the year and it was a play, but it wasn't amazing. But I've now played it like 15 times. Wingspan fits in that category. It's solid. It's easy to teach new players, old players, heavy players, whatever. Everybody's fine with it. And uh, it's kind of that middle of the road game.
1: Yeah, for me, Wigspan's a buy. It reminds me of a Christopher Nolan movie where it has large plot holes or problems with it. But the gameplay is so good and so smooth that it does not bother me at all. All right, Anthony, how about Century the New World? The third in their collection and their final and their wrap up and their giant conglomerate of games that all ties (laughs) together somehow. I really liked
0: this a lot, actually. I picked this up at Gen Con because I did not go to Origins. And it is a worker placement game with the Century formula mixed in. And I think it works really well. I don't like it quite as much as Eastern Wonders. So for me right now, the rankings are Eastern Wonders, The New World, and then Spice Road. But I own all three. I have the mats for all three. I would give the first two of those a buy and maybe spice Road a play but honestly at this point the whole trilogy is a lot of fun for me so I'm, I'm glad i got a chance to play it i'm glad he closed that really strong
1: on this and it's a cool project it's just cool to have it yeah i think so too emerson as just knocked this out of the park for me you know it's a good family or gateway game it's probably a better gateway game so to speak and the fact that all three games tie into each other Or you can kind of do one and two or one and three or two and three and such. I mean, I've been waiting for this type of situation as as long as I've been gaming. It just it just makes so much sense. I don't think any one of the games really stands out for me than the others Although I do have the Gollum edition for the first the first game that came out, and I know the Golem edition is coming out for the second game that came out. Although they keep saying that it will not come out for the third one, <laughs> yeah, They right. said the same thing. <laughs> they said the same thing about the second one, and it came out. So I've been lobbying for complete Gollum editions throughout the way. I know that was part of their original plan, and I'm glad that I own this. And I will eventually pick out all three of them as long as they're Gollum based. All right, Anthony, so let's talk about something that I know is near and dear to your heart and a massive, massive Kickstarter, Batman. Oh, man,
0: man, this, this game has just been sitting here mocking me since June. I don't, it's one of the worst rule books that I've encountered in recent years. It is mm-hmm. dozens of pages long. It's mildly incoherent at times. This game is ridiculously difficult to learn. So I have not learned this game yet and I have not played this game yet, but it's so pretty. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's all the Batman think, miniatures. It's great.
1: Yeah. This suffers from, I don't know, Kickstarter IDis. Yeah. Which I'm going to make up <laughs> and trademark for the moment. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just the fact that they could do it, but no one asked if they should do it. And and I think that's the real problem here that there's just so many characters and so many interchangeable pieces to the game that it's not so much a game as just things. <laughs> all I wanted was Conan with Batman characters. That's all I wanted. I know, and it's yeah. not what they gave me.
0: They just gave me like Conan plus thirty more mechanics and every yeah. Batman character
1: every ever
0: created. I'm like, this is, yeah. it's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. All right, let's talk about the complete opposite here. Then let's talk about Gandhi, the decolonization of British India, 1917 nineteen forty seven, there's seems like that's a, a a situation Batman could have solved much much earlier. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You know, <laughs> a couple yeah, that, of batarangs and that would have
0: ended in like six months. Yeah, he just he would just single handedly tear down the British Empire. It would have been great. This game finally shipped, which is amazing because this game was on my most anticipated for two years in a row uh, as a P five hundred from like twenty sixteen. I finally got the copy. I've learned it. I have run through it a couple times solo. It seems amazing. I have yet to get a group together to really make it happen because it's very specific. It is a coin game, so it needs a certain number of people. They need to know their factions. It's like a root on steroids, but I'm, I'm really excited to get it out and play it. It seems really solid.
1: Yeah, I have not seen or played this. I know that you were really anticipating this, so hopefully one of these days I'll get to the table. All right, Anthony, a game that I and I know I'm sure you as well as many of our listeners out there really anticipate and was really excited for Food Chain Magnet, the catch-up mechanism, and other stuff. Sounds yeah. like I made that title up. It, it does. <laughs> it seems like they woke up one day and they're like, hey,
0: we're making an expansion. What should we call it? I don't know. Ketchup mechanism, maybe some other stuff. <laughs> 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 we didn't even know what this would have when we did this episode they hadn't even put up for pre-order yet we just knew it existed it mm-hmm. is now shipping as of last week and uh-huh. i've had a chance to look through some of the modules in a friend's copy looks pretty cool there's highways there's new forms of advertising there's ways to add roads to the map there's new types of goods like coffee and sushi and i think it's kimchi oh boy lots and lots of stuff the menus are much bigger i haven't played it yet so it's happening probably in the next month or two, but at the moment I haven't had a chance to play it.
1: Everyone in my game group is very excited about this. I'm a little horrified about the, <laughs> about this because Foo Magnet does take an immense amount of time, and it is a heavy, heavy Euro game, and you can screw other players massively to the point where they just want to walk away and cry or flip the table. So the idea that the game could be longer and have more, 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 more mechanics... It, do, it does frighten me a little bit. I, I will admit this. All right, Anthony, how about a game that we just talked about mere minutes ago on Mars? It's amazing.
0: Rewind about 15 minutes and listen to a review. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll go along with that. Yeah. How about Escape Plan from Vitellacerda?
0: Not as good as On Mars, but still pretty good. Uh, it's this is probably my least favorite Lacerda game. but It doesn't really mean much because all of its games are biased for me. This one was like a play a strong play Mm -hmm. it also happens to be i think the most expensive game they've produced of his which is silly to me because it's the lightest and simplest and least overall interesting so Mm -hmm. it's a hard recommendation but owning it already having played it i do like it
1: i do like it a lot too but as you mentioned the price was way too high for the uh complexity of the game i think that's the, the 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 trick so to speak speaking of tricks yeah (laughs) trick on the super deluxe version depending on which version you back but at the very least the uh expansion the academy yeah
0: no i have the uh, collector's edition i backed this and the box is not quite as big as suburbia but pretty close Mm -hmm. uh so also hard to lug around i have not played like the big mega version yet but i did play with you last spring i think in may Mm mm-hmm and I loved mm-hmm. it It jumped into my top 100 because it was so good. So um, I I'm really excited to get to play all the content in it uh, when I get a chance to like nail people down for a few hours. But uh, just my one two kind of one play with you and then run through of it solo. I really enjoyed it.
1: I've played the base game a lot and I played the Dark Alley expansion a lot. I think the Dark Alley expansion is essential to the game. Don't bother playing it without the Dark Alley expansion. Because specifically when you play the programming element where you play the cards that tell everybody what and especially you what you're going to be doing, having the extra bonus ability is fantastic. Uh, It's a worker placement game, which doesn't seem crazy different or anything. Production super high, but the fact that your workers do different things really is what sets the game apart. I've been dragging this around with me since I got it. It's been in my car forever, (laughs) but it is a crazy table hog. Yeah. So we're gonna have to wait a little bit, unfortunately, until we're able to get a full review at the table, just because there is a lot of content on this, and you do need a special situation like a suburbia mega box situation where you can get this to the table. All right, Anthony, how about Call to Adventure? You backed this, right?
0: I did. I've yet to play it. I know you had a chance to play it though,
1: right? Yeah, I mean I mean the artwork is great. <laughs> and the artwork. <laughs> <laughs> and moving on
0: <laughs> um i i will say this though i did get the expansion the the name of the wind expansion and this is uh-huh. the reason i went in on this is because of the idea that you could take stuff from like fantasy book series that i've read and loved and put uh-huh. it into the system so whether the game's amazing or not the fact that i can get content from books i've read and authors i like it still has me on board even i mean i need to play it obviously but I'm still optimistic, despite everything I've heard.
1: It certainly is a game that would be good for people, as you mentioned, that specific population who are looking for a light gateway game. So it fits the role as far as that's concerned. So how about Tybor the Builder? I have not heard nor have I seen this anywhere. Yeah, I
0: honestly, I was really excited about this because it was kind of in the... um the same weight and style of like, Oh My Goods. But even with a copy and multiple times having tried to get it to the table. Um, and the fact that it's an Alexander Pfister game um, working mm-hmm. with Dennis Rapel, I have not played it yet. So I, I really fell off hard on Alexander Pfister this year. Like a lot of his games just like let me down. And this one kind of fell by the wayside because of that.
1: Yeah. There was just a game that I was hoping to get to the table or see, but I don't know anyone who picked this up. I didn't see any advertisement or promotion or reviews or anything for this. And it was rather disappointing because this was supposed to be the game, so to speak. Well, a game that was the game back in the day and did have a resurgent or a reprint, so to speak, is Snowdonia. Yeah, I was really excited for
0: this. And then I got it and I opened it and I punched it and I got all the cards out and I started sleeving them. And I realized like a hundred of them have errata. (laughs) So... This game had a ton of printing issues and that involved printing out literal corrections from my printer and sliding them into sleeves with all the cards, which mm-hmm. took way too long. And I have therefore not played the game. The game has 1200 cards. So <laughs> ugh, God help you, man. It's a lot. You sleeve 1200 cards. I did not. I only sleeved the base cards. Like I was going to sleeve them all and I realized how much it was going to take. And I was, I was like, I'll just do the base content and get that played with the errata on it and it just by the time I got that all done and figured it out I was just like I'm done with this <laughs> so yeah. I really want to play it like it's a good it seems like a good game but it the production issues like pushed me off of it
1: yeah I remember seeing this and everyone was raving about the game and that it was coming back and it was being reprinted but and I hate to be that guy but you got to give me some new artwork you, you got to streamline the graphic design I mean look at look at brass look at the new version of brass look what it did for brass the original brass so to speak and i did not see that here and i passed on it so i guess i'm glad i did uh anthony sorcerer
0: i have not played this i have well that's not true i actually played a demo of this at origins the year that you left a little early and Mm -hmm. actually rather enjoyed the demo it's kind of smash-up-y in which you build a deck from multiple different Uh, materials, like you have like a different faction and different abilities and all the stuff. You smash them together, you build a deck, you play against each other. But I haven't played it much since it came out, if at all. Uh, But I have several friends at the local store here who swear by it some of whom say it's their favorite game of the year. So hmm. I need one of them to bring it out and we will play it again and they will teach me and I will tell you if that's true or not. But obviously it didn't make it onto my top 10 list for the year because I didn't really have a chance to play it much.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen this at all. So hopefully this gets to the table soon. All right, a game that I did get to the table was Paladins of the West Kingdom. You played this, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the best in that series of games.
0: Uh, yep. I liked it a lot more than Architects because Architects... Yes. That game fell off fast. Like I played it two times. The first time I was like, wow, this is really clever. The second time I'm like, okay, I get it. And then the third time I was bored. So uh, Paladins is better than that. I don't know if it's quite to the buy level yet, but it was a good game.
1: Yes, it's the best in the series that includes Colonia, which is weird because I know it's not the same designer, but it has the same artwork and it has somewhat of the same feel to the game. Architects I played a ton just because it was so quick to play and each and every time it was like huh, this is all right but it was never really anything that I wanted to come back to but Paladins of the West Kingdom was a really solid version of Architects so it did get a little more game time than Architects even though it was a little bit heavier. Anthony what about Age of Steam Deluxe? I ended up backing out of backing this. Uh, I have a friend who did back it
0: and still looking forward to playing it. I know it did have a lot of production issues, though. So several people who did back this on Kickstarter seem to be unhappy with like the actual physical version of the game. Uh, mm-hmm. Looks really pretty, though. It's, you know, tool doing a train game, which is always good.
1: Yeah, I agree. Have not seen this. Hope to see this one day, but I don't know. Kickstarter's had some problems this year. Speaking about Kickstarter having some problems. Ooh, segue. Boy. <laughs> <sighs> barrage remember barrage remember that was a thing remember, uh, remember?
0: this was such a nightmare yeah I, <laughs> so i backed it and then i played it after i backed it didn't love what uh-huh. i played but then it showed up and i was like oh i should play it and all of my little wheels were bent some of the pieces were bent some of the other stuff was warped this giant box all this foam core stuff it was a mess the whole production was a mess the, the distribution was a mess I have now since fixed several of those issues, so I could play it if I wanted to. But I have not done that because similar to Snowdonia, once I got to a certain point, I was just like, I don't feel like dealing with this anymore. (laughs) So I've yet to play the game.
1: I played this a bunch. I played this at PAX Unplugged when you were there and played it since. And as you mentioned, there were so many production issues and it was a massive table hog. It's still a very good game. But because it's a massive table hog, because of the production issues, it's just I can't imagine seeing this game hit the table again. I just don't think we'll see it's like in quite some time. Speaking of heavy games, so to speak, Underwater Cities, this is another game that we played at PAX. Yeah, and it is now one of my top 10 games of all time.
0: This game's awesome. Waiting for the expansion next month.
1: Yeah, I can't. You know, we walked out from last PAX with some really great games. Underwater Cities was something that we were all looking at. It was There was no teachers available or understood what the game was. So it was a little bit of a slog going through, but it felt from the very beginning to the very end as a streamlined, solid game, a competitor, if not a replacement game in some respects to Terraforming Mars. I know that's sacrilege, but let me move forward. And the expansion slash... You know, upgrade version editions going to have new boards. So I'm really forward looking forward to that. I love this game. It's a buy. Speaking of games that I love that it's a buy, Villagers was a Kickstarter that came out, which was a great supply chain management game in a little box with some really nice artwork and some wooden coins that came along with it. Highly, highly recommend playing with the expansion. Did you get a chance to play this, Anthony? Yeah. Yeah, I backed it on Kickstarter.
0: I had a lot of fun with it. It's it's
1: pretty good. Another game that was highly anticipated this year, but had some of its own issues. Blackout Hong Kong. Yeah, this is I think this is the point I fell off
0: Alexander Fister the most is another big box game released at Essen released, I think, February this last year here in the States. And it just didn't feel finished. Didn't feel like it had been play tested all the way. Didn't feel like the design was quite done. The game starts the same roughly every time. I fell off this game really fast. Like the first play, I was like, oh, that's clever. The second play, I'm like way less clever. <laughs> like, and now it's in my basement, you know, in the boxes to be distributed to other buyers and or local stores. So very, very disappointed
1: in this one this was probably one of my biggest anticipated games for the year. Love Alexander Pfister's games. And this was going to be the game, you know, it just really was going to be the game. And I know that he came out and said that it was rushed for Essen. It shows that from the rule books, it shows that from its problems, played it multiple times with, from multiple people. And every once in a while it was like, Hey, we missed a rule here. We missed a rule there. But again, like the gameplay so much that we played it so many times that I must've played dozens of variants of the game. And I'm sure most of those variants were still fine, or there was some solid plays in between, but the production issues and the, and the rule books and everything else, I think you could pick this up on, you know, clearance sale for like 15 bucks in multiple places. I don't own a copy. I know that there was a revised board that came out and I'm still kind of trying to feel my way if I actually want to pick up a copy of this game because I do like it despite all of its flaws so maybe someday I will add it to my collection and uh I don't know we'll see all right Anthony finally Lord of the Rings Journey to Middle Earth this was the opposite of Blackout Hong
0: Kong where I thought it was going to be just kind of another pasted on theme that just borrowed from other games that Fantasy Flight had done which to be admittedly it does do that but Mm -hmm. the final package was really good so it kind of matches up the stuff you find in descent with the stuff you find in mansions of madness uh combined with like an app to run the ai and the map itself you know physically in front of you and it was a lot of fun you run through multiple campaigns there's new content for it already i think there's a big box expansion coming sometime in 2020 this was one of my pleasant surprises of the first half of the year didn't quite make my top 10 but that's just because it You know, I played through the campaign once and that was about it. So, uh, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised.
1: All right. So that's our year in review. Hopefully some of those games actually got to your table as well. Hopefully you enjoyed them. And uh, as I said, take a look back at our previous episodes so you could see more in detail about our reviews about those games and how much we like them. And stay tuned for the upcoming year. As Anthony mentioned, a lot of these games are still in the mail or are still en route to the table, so to speak. So we will hopefully get these games to the table, let you know how great they are or aren't, and whether you should buy them, pass on them, or just kind of avoid them at all cost. All right, I think before we wrap up this episode into the new year, 2020, let's talk about some of our resolutions and plans.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is always a fun thing, uh, if only because we, we we never succeed and we can look back later and not talk about it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we talked about ten by tens like three weeks ago. I think it was the question of the week, and I think you mentioned that the best way to do that would be as a group, right? Like, yes, not individually, yes. but like a group. And mm-hmm. uh, my friend Michael, who listens to the podcast, he he heard that and he's like, "Hey, we should do that." So now we're doing that. Um, so we do have a ten by ten set up, and we we did this like elaborate uh, process where we each nominated several games, and then we voted on them, and we have a final list of ten. And I think most of us are pretty happy with, and I feel like it should be feasible to get it done. So we'll see how it goes. I will, I will check in with y'all throughout the year, if not at the very end of the year to tell you how it went. Um, I also set up like a personal list of just things that have been on my shelves forever that I want to get through. So Seventh Continent, The Colonists, Antiquity, uh, Feudum, Roads and Boats, and then Scythe, Rise of Fenris, which is one people keep giving me grief about. Those are the games that I'm like, I'm going to play these this year because they've been sitting here staring at me for multiple years. In some cases, uh, if I don't play them this year, they might be gone because I just I can't keep staring at them and not playing them. So that's my goals for
1: 2020 in terms of gaming. My goals in terms of 2020, obviously, is always going to be play more games. <laughs> I <Yeah>. think that's <laughs> that's just one of those kind of like, ah, yes, yes. That that thing that we all hope to uh plan to do i think the biggest challenge with getting games to the table is that there are certain games that play best or certain games that only certain players will play so taking a look back at a list that i've still not gotten to the table are typically because there's certain gamers that are willing to play those games or want to play those games and then everyone else is like "eh, not so much so the list of shames so to speak that i hope to actually knock off this year and I'll give you an idea of year-wise how long it's been. Uh first off Star Trek Fleet Captains 2011. Mm. Jeez man. Uh yeah, I, you know, we our friend Chris who's been on the podcast, he was really excited we were getting this game to the table and he's in the Coast Guard, he got shipped off to Alaska and now is in DC and still have not seen him for several several years he was the only person willing to, uh, you know, go beyond, so to speak. And uh, yeah, that has not happened. uh Mocker, now that came out in 1986. I haven't not, I've had it only the last couple of years. I think if you jump back a couple of episodes, you'll hear my conversation about this. I know that they uh, are going to, or they obviously do, at least at this point, have a reprint of this. So maybe this game will get to the table. It's a very old game, so to speak, 1986, so to speak. And it's super, super heavy and super, super long. And I was hoping to get it done at Pax Unplugged, but there was no teacher. And when I asked for a teacher, they were like, "Seriously, man, come on, just, just, just read the rules." And I was like, "I'm not gonna read the rules." <laughs> so, did not get that to the table, despite it being at Pax Unplugged. Yeah. And uh, another game that I want to get to the table, but it suffers from the same problem that the Suburbia Collector's Edition suffers from and that's Tokido's collector's edition this was a kickstarter that i backed way back in 2015 i punched it so to speak it was mostly all punched it had pre-painted figures that you could play with in the game and all the expansions in the game it's a very large square box so it doesn't fit really anywhere in particular and the box itself is pure white and everything inside is basically pure white and i know if i bring it to one game night it will no longer be pure white So I need to bring people to my house to play Tokido's Collector's Edition. And it still looks fantastic. I played the base game and some of the expansions to death and it's still a great game. But if and when I ever get to the table, maybe this year, maybe possibly, you know, it could happen at this point. But I, I think that just in general, trying to find the right gamers, trying to find the right space for the right game is always the biggest challenging to board gaming so to speak and hopefully the next year we'll come up with new gamers and new games to be able to get to the table so I'm going to say those are my top three games of shame that I hope to get to the table for the upcoming 2020 year all good games I I can see those alright so that's everything for 2019 until 2020 this is Chris and this is Anthony and we'll save you a seat in the new year
0: proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing.
1: Find out more at DicetowerNetwork.com.
0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas?
1: These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.